This recording has been produced by Christchurch, Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, and welcome to Christchurch, Jerusalem, where we are having our evening Bible study which we have entitled The Last Words of Moses, as we are wrestling with and studying and examining and applying the, the wisdom to ourselves, to our community, as this is Torah that speaks eternal and speaks to us and to this generation, as Moses is preparing the people of Israel uh, to enter the promised land and to establish a community of justice, righteousness, fairness, uh, that would reflect the character of God and be a light to the nations. And we are currently in chapter 30. We understand, of course, that the Messiah and his spirit is present. We'd like to acknowledge that. And Shimshon, a brother from Nigeria, will lead us in prayer. In Jesus' name, Father, we thank you for another time in your presence to study your word. The entrance of your word gives us life and gives understanding to the simple Lord, let this word have a free course in our life. As we study it, Lord, we pray that everything you have for us to make us a better believer, to make us a better follower of you, Lord, let us let it be unveiled, revealed to us in the name of Jesus. Lord, we pray also that as we learn this word, Lord, let us be also instrument of your peace on earth, that we may use it to make peace in the name of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, brother. Okay. So we've had a couple of weeks break, uh, one for Ash Wednesday, the beginning season um, of Lent in the uh, Christian calendar, and then the other one for Purim, where we had a very interesting lecture from Sharon Alley, who was exploring a lot of the ironies that were in the text, which I think for a lot of us was eye-opening and an excellent, excellent talk, which is also available on the podcast. Okay, so just... Now going over the uh, notes from two weeks ago, the summary from our discussion, which was from uh, Deuteronomy 29. As Moses' speech draws close to its end, he once again reiterates the sacred history of the people following the exodus from Egypt, leading up to a reiteration of the covenant of God. The opening verse almost reads as though there were actually two covenants given to Israel, one at Mount Sinai, although the text calls it Mount Chorev, which is actually the most common name for the mountain, and the other here on the plains of Moab. Some Jewish commentators like Rashi say that Moses is actually adding to the previous words at Sinai, while others say that this is a reiteration to the new younger generation of Israel as the majority of those at Sinai had passed away. Moses reminds the people that they had seen the miracles and the wonders of God through his provision in the wilderness. A new detail of the sandals that did not wear out is added here. The emphasis is on having seen the works of the Lord, yet seeing did not translate into believing. The takeaway for us once again is that seeing miracles do not induce faith. Despite this emphasis on physical sight, Moses notes that God had not given Israel a heart to understand, 
with the heart being connected to morality and faith. The heart can and should respond to God even without seeing. As Jesus says, blessed are those who have not seen yet still believe. That's from John 20. The two descendant kings of the Nephilim, Og and Sihon, are once again mentioned, indicating that their defeat really was a major victory in the history of the wanderings in the wilderness. Moses confirms also that the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh have taken possession of their territory. While the Amorite king's destruction had been prophesied in Genesis 15, what is not foretold is the claiming the land that is not in the land of Canaan. Remember, the promised land, the land of Canaan, is across the Jordan. Yet, Israel takes possession of territory not in the land of Canaan, the land of the Amorites. Verse 9 reminds everyone, including us, that obedience leads to prosperity. And this declaration brings with it the tension between blessing from God in such abundance with it leading to arrogance, idolatry, and eventually falling away. And Solomon is a clear example of abundant blessing leading to abject failure. The king who had everything ends up with very little indeed. For example, the kingdom of Israel was at its greatest during the reign of Solomon. And yet at the end of his reign, God says, because you've disobeyed, I'm tearing your kingdom away. And it breaks and it leads into civil war and shrinks to two tribes only. While we long for God to pour out his riches and blessings on us, for in truth, rarely does anyone call for God to curse them, we must remain careful and vigilant in managing blessing and prosperity. While the covenant is being reconfirmed here in Moab, Moses declares that these obligations to hear the Lord, to obey his voice, includes not only those present, but the future unborn. The foreigner is also included in the list of those for which the covenant is being made. Obedience to God might not sound like freedom in the ears of many people, including many who live today in today's world. Moses reminds Israel of their former life in Egypt, where they were slaves, hard-pressed, ignorant of God, without instruction, and surrounded by the influence of idolatry, which, oddly enough, reflects much of the modern world today. Moses has previously stated that the Torah of God is wisdom from heaven, that no other nation possesses such wisdom and morality. Yet the heart of man is fickle, weak, is vulnerable. So Moses reiterates the warning against idolatry, calling it poison, bitter fruit, empty self-delusion that brings divine punishment. The divine punishment will be so severe that future generations and even the non-Jewish neighbors will acknowledge that the punishment inflicted was from God upon a rebellious people who abandoned the covenant. 
the examples of Sodom and Gomorrah, again, part of the sacred history of Israel, are added for emphasis. We note also that the foreigner from a distant land can hear both good and bad reports from the Jewish people. Thus, they truly are a light to the nation and witnesses for God. God delights to reveal himself through a people. As the Lord does not change, being the same yesterday, today, and forever, it can be concluded that he still does delight to do so. Mordecai then told us a story from his time during his studies in the United States of two Jewish men arguing over their bordering driveways. And when the local rabbi heard the altercation, he sought to stop the argument by saying, not in front of the Gentiles. Paul also commands the Corinthians not to bring members of the community before the courts of the Gentiles and potentially disgracing the name of God. Chapter 29 concludes with Moses stating that the secret things belong to the Lord our God. God delights in revealing himself to his people, to the nations around through his people, and to the world through his word and the Messiah. Yet not everything has been revealed about God. God still remains mysterious with his ways and thoughts not being our ways and thoughts. But what has indeed been revealed is in our possession, and what is in our possession should be studied and put into practice. Proverbs 25 describes the mystery as the honour of God to conceal a thing and the honour of kings to search them out. It should be humbling to know that we don't know everything. However, this does not leave us in a place of complacency and passivity. Rather, we search the scriptures actively to learn more of God, more of his character, more of his purpose and will. As Moses says, so that we may do the words of the Torah. So that's a summary of our, um, from two weeks ago. And so now, turning to the chapter, it's actually not a very, not a long uh, chapter, only uh, 20 verses. And so we will read it, or I'll read it, um, and I'm reading from a, an ESV version. So Deuteronomy. Chapter 30. And when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse, which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you, and return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice in all that I command you today, with all your heart, with all your soul, and then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you. And he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of the heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you. And from there he will take you. And the Lord your God will bring you into the land that your fathers possessed, that he may possess it. And he will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart. In the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. And the Lord your God will put all these curses on your foes and on your enemies who persecute you. 
And you shall again obey the voice of the Lord and keep all his commandments that I command you today. The Lord your God will make you abundantly prosperous in all the work of your hand, in the fruit of your womb, and in the fruit of your cattle, and in the fruit of your ground. For the Lord will take again delight in prospering you, as he took delight in your fathers. When you obey the voice of the Lord your God, to keep his commandments and to his statutes that are written in this book of the law, when you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. For this commandment that I am commanding you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us to bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. And neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth, it is in your heart, so that you can do it. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. Whew, this is the word of the Lord. Okay, so, as, as, as our custom, and looking at the uh, Peshat, guys, just on an initial, literal reading of the text, what is it that jumps out? Is there something there that you always notice, have noticed for the very first time, or never notice? All right, man, stunned silence there from our brothers and sisters. Well, it's, it's prophecy, it's gospel, it's uh, prophecy of the gospel to come, the return of the Jewish people, as spoken by Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and all those guys, all in one chapter. Yeah, it is. There's a lot there in one in one chapter. Is there anything there that's uh, uh, new for anyone? I see um, the gatherings. <clears throat> he will fetch you. Um, yep. uh, like Roddy said, the the bringing together, the bringing back of the people mm-hmm. <laughs> from the uttermost parts of heaven. Anyone know which country on the earth is furthest away from Jerusalem? Mm-hmm. Anyone know? It's New Zealand. There you go. It's Hobbit Land. It's the Shire. It's Lord <laughs> of the Rings. Yes, that's the, that is the furthest place um, um, in terms of distance that's from, from Jerusalem. So whenever, uh, whenever I meet um, New Zealand Jews, it's like, aha, we have fulfilled the commandment. The furthest, <laughs> the furthest from the earth are now here. <laughs> <laughs> 
Then oh, something that seems to strike me is um, these words of Moses that says it's not in heaven, talking about the word of God that he just gave them, but um, from verse um, 11 and verse 12 says that it is not in heaven that you should say who, who among those can go up to heaven and get it for us or impart it to us that we may observe it. Neither um, yeah. be, be on the sea, you know. Um, this word seems to be um, not a very New Testament-like kind of thing because um, we we have this concept of um, in 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 the Brit Hadashah that Yeshua is the word that you know comes from heaven to us, and so when he says it's not beyond heaven, because um, I've had an interaction with a with an Orthodox Jews, and he was trying to use the scripture to disprove that um, um, Christianity is, is correct, and uh, you know the word of God is not far; it's in your mouth. You know you don't need to wait for somebody to come and give you salvation and things like that. Okay. So, uh, I would like us to really go through this word and understand it from Moses' point of view. Yes, because it's actually quoted by Paul in Romans, and. Um, so, yeah, it's very interesting. It's a, it's a great, um, there's a lot there, actually, and there's some very good midrashim about it. I liked that section as well um, because the, the verse 14, which says the word is very near you, and then it, it, it parallels, it's in your mouth and your heart. So your mouth and your heart are connected in some weird and wonderful way, not that what you eat goes into your stomach, but what's the, uh, what's the saying that Yeshua teaches? It's not what goes in your mouth that's important. It's, it's what goes inside. It's what comes out. Yeah. yeah sorry, it's, like, it's what comes out, yes. Yeah, and what comes out is from the heart. And so you can see this connection here um, that uh, the word is near you. It's in your mouth and your heart. You go, wow, okay, so those two are connected. And then he turns around and says, so that you can do it. I'm like, whoa. That you can do it. Yeah, it's very, very does seem against or some of the character of the New Testament. Um, okay, so what's Kevin? Kevin Coulter writes in the chat, he says, this chapter is also one of those proof texts that Mormon missionaries use for their initial visits. The, the ascended to heaven for us, Jesus, then he also came to the Americas, lost tribes of his life. You see, if he ascended to heaven for us, he also crossed the sea. Of course, I, yes, I agree with you, Kevin. I disagree with them. But that's interesting that the Mormons uh, <laughs> say that. I, I haven't heard that one. Um, um, I, um, I haven't spent a, enough time chatting to, uh, to Mormons, I guess, although I have read uh, the Book of Mormon a long time ago. All right. Anything else verse, before we... Okay. Yeah. Uh, verse 19, calling heaven and earth to witness. Sure. I, Okay, that that stands out as something un, uh, difficult for you to wrestle with, or have you not uh, thought of it before? Um, no, it's just it's you know uh, not not I've seen it before, but it's just it's just it's such an interesting concept. It is, and um, uh, uh, Mordecai and I were talking about it earlier today, so he might speak into it when we get when we get to that passage. Interestingly enough. During Lent, um, the for those that do that traditional stuff, um, the one of the traditions of Lent is to read the Ten Commandments out loud. 
slowly and to contemplate them. And then at the end of reading the Ten Commandments, uh, we say the words from Moses here. We say, I call heaven and worth as witnesses. I've set before you uh, life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life. And we respond with, yep, we choose life. Uh, and so during this next sort of like six weeks, we actually read this portion every, every Sunday. And I guess another thing, that whole idea of uh, verse 15, life, and death, good and evil, it's just going back to the garden, um, same, same vocabulary. It's, it is the same vocabulary, yes. It's uh, tov vera. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it very much mimics the, the, what, the tree of life, the tree of uh, good and evil. Mm -hmm. was in the, in the, and then the idea that uh, please choose wisely and then failing miserably. Yeah. Okay. All right. So having the previous uh, chapter, which talked a little bit about um, uh, being an exile, this one, this chapter, brings in a lot more hope of restoration, of redemption, of forgiveness, and sort of the end of exile. And, um, and so it begins in verse 1. Um, Interestingly, as Moses says, as he has done in the previous chapter, when all these blessings come upon you, the blessings, all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse, meaning it's both going to happen. Even though we had been given the complete warning, we still managed to not uh, choose well. You know, we were told if you take two steps ahead, there is a big hole, you'll fall down. Okay, but we keep walking forward anyway. Um, but here, Moses says, after the exile, and, you know, resistance is futile, you, you're just not going to be able to stop it, um, there'll be an opportunity for restoration. There will be forgiveness. There will be um, an opportunity to repent. And because it, it says, and you call them to mind, so you, you take a little stock of your situation. How do we get into this mess? Um, um, what can we do now? Um, what's what, what's uh, Rabbi Kiva's famous line? Hey, Mordecai, do you know when the temple is being destroyed? And um, not Rabbi Kiva, it was Yochanan ben Zakai. Um, the Romans are burning the temple and everybody's having to flee. And, and the disciples of Yochanan ben Zakai ask, well, now what can we do? I mean, what's, what, what's, what's, what's our hope? Temple's, temple's destroyed. Anyone know what Yochanan ben Zakai says? Every synagogue is a temple now, right? Yeah, well, he says we can always repent. Yeah. Rebuild. We can always repent. And he does. He, we've got the synagogues. He goes down to Yavne. He, uh, he establishes some wisdom. like he, you know. But even when faced with abject destruction and exile, he still says we can still repent which is um, actually a very strong theme in the New Testament, all the way through to Revelation. Even when things are going incredibly bad, then you always have the opportunity for Teshuvah. You can always... Yeah. When the repenting didn't work, so then they, they say that every shul is a temple. <laughs> so nobody repents, so let's find something else. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
That's funny. Okay, and so when you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you, and then in verse 2, and return, so repent, teshuvah, and shuv, to the return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey the voice uh, in all that I command you. So one aspect of repentance is, what is it? What's one aspect with all, your heart, of, with all your heart and with all your soul? Okay, it's got yes. Shuva, shuvu. Yeah, so it's return, <laughs> repent, confession. Heed the commandment. Correct. Absolutely, Shimshon. Do something about it. Ah. You can't just say, um, "I'm very sorry." I mean, you should say that, but you can't just say, "I'm very sorry for stealing," and then keep stealing. That's just not the way it works, right? And, um, and that, so, the, so obedience is, and when we say the word obedience, we, we often then think, oh, my gosh, we have to keep all 100%, otherwise I've blown it. No, it's obedience. There's a big, big difference between um, not obeying and obeying. And how do you obey? With, as you said, Sharon, all your heart and all your soul. And so I, it's find all, verse, I find verse 14 really comforting that it's that it's doable though, right? Like, you know, by the word is very near you in your mouth and in your heart that you may do it as opposed to not attainable, right? Right. That's right. It's a, it's um, it's a, a very much, um, un, yeah. So it's, it's a, it's unfortunately a, 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 a uh, a stream of theology that says there's absolutely no possible way to keep the law, so therefore I won't bother trying. And that's like saying, okay, well, if that's true, then I, and I don't have to keep any of the 613 laws of Moses or any of the commandments in the New Testament, I can't keep all the law of the city either. I can't stop speeding. I can't stop not indicating. So you know what? I'll just give up and I'll just break every law possible because, you know what, can't do it. doesn't work that way, does it? And uh, we, we, it's very interesting how in theological terms sometimes we leap to this end goal and, 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 uh, and, and take everything, this huge broad brush. Can't do it, so I'm not going to bother. When actually the text turns around here and says, what are you talking about? This, this, these are words of life. These are words of instruction. This is good. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't exactly. lie. Exactly. I was you know, asked that today. Somebody go, they asked me specifically, well, which ones do we choose? Where do we begin? Yeah. I was like, I don't know. Let's just look at the first top 10 and decide if you can start there. Because <laughs> if you can start there uh, and you can do that, odds are pretty good. Everything else will fall into line. But the 613... Um, commandments, if you want to call them all that, they're not meant for every single person. We don't have a temple anymore. We can't do those. Some of them are meant for women. Some are meant for men. Some are meant for brothers. Some are meant for fathers and mothers. It's not every single one is meant for every single person. You have, right. to, you have to use some common sense in deciding these things. And God has made it clear to us. Thanks, Roddy. I, I always like ex-lawyers uh, who come and talk about this. Isn't it great? <laughs> but it comes down to talking about the law. Thanks, Roddy. Yes, 
Very good. Excellent. But, but another thought, too, is that I guess that's the whole point, right? So then when we look at the Ten Commandments, that we fail them all the time, and that's why Christ came, because we can't fulfill the law. So, like, in this passage, it goes down to verse 6, right? That it's the Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. So we can't do it in a sense, right? Like we fail the Ten Commandments every day, right? Sure. Is it true? Well, let's let's take it along like this, Sharon. So here we are standing on the um, east bank of the Jordan. And Moses is giving us this big pep talk saying, when you cross the Jordan, uh, you're going to blow it. And you're going to go into exile. So, what would be the lo- next logical conclusion after you've heard that heard that statement? Why did we blow it, or how did we blow it? Well, Kate, go one even one further. Well, the curses are coming. Yeah. Why? What, what would still I mean, think? Keep, keep thinking. You're standing in the east side. You're in the Jordan. Uh, you're in. You're in Jordan. You're in the plains of Moab. Moses is saying, here's the choices. Choose life. Oh, by the way, you're not gonna. You're gonna you're gonna get the 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 curses. So you know. Um, but then there'll be repentance. What would be the the most logical thing to say? Please most have mercy said, upon us. No, well, yeah, have mercy, Lord. Why bother going over in the first place? If if we're gonna fail. Why bother? You know, why bother reading the Bible if the only result is, oh, by the way, you can't do it. And you may as well just sit under a tree and wait for the rapture. Something's not quite, doesn't quite gel when uh, when you go, okay, here's the Ten Commandments. By the way, you can't do them anyway. So I don't even know why I bothered to tell you. Because well, the law, that's the point. The law leads you to Christ, leads you to your need for a savior. Everything leads you to the Messiah. Like they, what, is that, what does Paul say? You know, Yeshua, he is the telos. He is the goal of the Torah, right? He is the, the everything's going to lead us to, to, to Messiah. Everything's going to point us to the love that God has for his people and, and his explicit desire to live amongst us. And if you accept him, he now has given you ways to become even closer to him. So do you choose his ways to become closer to him or do you go and you choose your own way to be closer to him? And his ways are not that difficult. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, again, when we look at it, um, if you look at Leviticus, Exodus, and even Peter, I was quoting it in First Peter 1, 16. It says, be holy for I am holy. Um, God will not tell us to be holy if it's not possible for us to be holy. I agree. So he's instructing us to be holy because it is actually possible for us to be holy. But but how? But not really. That's a very good question. How How are you guys holy? Okay, if you look at um, Job's life, um, we we realize that Job had the, the sin of fear. But before... Um, before the courts of heaven, God says, have you seen my servant Job, one that is blameless? And so it's not our standard of holiness, what we consider as holiness. Because at the end of the day, we're looking at, okay, Job had some of his faults. But before God, God still declared him as holy. God says that, have you seen my servant that is blameless? And so when we look at holiness and we look at it from 
our own logical perspective of what God wants, it's not always in that way. Um, if God declares you holy, then you should you are holy. Um, it's not yeah in that. And, uh, yes, Noah was that Noah was called righteous. How how is that? How is that physically possible? You know, and uh, you're like what? Uh, but that's what God said. So um, that's that's the way it is. I like yes, God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts aren't our thoughts. And so if He says be holy, then in some way. Obviously, God's way, uh, we can. Often, though, we don't approach it that way. We often approach it in our own way and our own denominational themes and our own um, cultures and, 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 and such and traditions. Um, uh, not, none of those of which are bad, those of which are all very much a part of us. Uh, but it is, as this text is saying, it's an interesting thing. It's within our reach. And of course, as followers of the Messiah, there's something extra special you and I have that helps. And what is it? Holy Spirit. Yeah, the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. And, um, and, and it, which is very great because I love the way it says, the word is very near you, you know, and it's like in your mouth and in your heart. Man, the Holy Spirit is in your mouth and in your heart. Well, it should be. And, um, and there's a, a bunch of brothers and sisters all hanging around, helping, poke, poking, prodding, correcting, encouraging. Um, it's actually quite an ad interesting adventure that we're on. All right. So looking at uh, verse 3. So <clears throat> there is going to be restoration. Hallelujah. Even though... Uh, we blew it. And the Lord your God will restore your fortunes, have mercy on you, gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. And some commentators will say, this is Babylon. And, uh, and so the modern state of Israel is a complete load of rubbish. But then there's this interesting verse in 4, which says, um, if, you're, if your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, which is not Babylon, and the Lord your God will bring you even from that land that you, uh, uh, and gather you and he will take you there. And so there was this, it, it, it seems to imply that there was this further further exile, this, this scattering of the, of the nations um, around the world, the north, the south, the east, the west, which is mentioned in several of the other prophets. This phrase was quoted by Jesus when he described the rapture. Is that right? Where, where does he do that? Which, which chapter is that? Matthew 24. Ooh, anyone, anyone, do you have it off the top of your head? Yes, he says, then he will send his angels and gather together as he left from four winds from the furthest corner of heaven to the other. Uh-huh. Okay. So, so Jesus uses this to describe the rapture. Okay. Excellent. Um, I also want to say something about this. Go for it. Well, what we believe is that when the Jews went to exile, God's divine presence also went with them. So here, what we believe is in my book, also in the commentary, and also what I learned during the Yeshua years is that when the Jews return to the land, God's divine presence will also return with them. So that means God also went with them out, you know, so his divine presence wasn't in the temple is another evidence, right? So it actually is everywhere. And the, the Arba, the verse 4, here as you say, like all the parts of heaven, blah, blah, blah. 
what Chabad believed was that this is our spiritual exile. So wherever your spiritual exile may be, that when the Messiah comes or when the redemption, redemption comes, so you will go back to him, basically. basically. Not a physical exile, but as a spiritual exile. Cool. Um, I have to say that in my time learning with Mordecai here, I've come to realize, I kind of knew it a little bit before, but I've come to realize that, that Chabad have, um, uh, you know, there are multiple levels of reading the text, you know, Peshat and Drashat. They do take a lot of the spiritual side to the text. They're very, very big on um, like this, the spiritual galut. Amalek isn't physical. He's, he's a spiritual part. He's actually part of us, you know, these kinds of these ideas. And um, that's very, you might notice, very similar to some of the New Testament teachings as well, yeah. and, um, uh, which is interesting. So, yeah, so there's a spiritual exile as well as a physical exile. Exile, yeah. And the Lord will return both. Just like you see in, what's that chapter? In Ezekiel, um, where they, the, the exiles return, and then after they return, God puts us the spirit upon them. Ezekiel 36. Yes, Ezekiel 36. And it says also, it over and over. And also, the other nations who are in exile now, I don't know if they are, exist now, so they will also return back to their country of origin. That's what we believe. I don't know. Oh, yeah. It might be the Brits in America after 600 years or 300 years, they will go back to Britain. I don't know. <laughs> but they are not in exile anymore. But that's, it's like a hope. You know, it gives hope for everyone. Well, it, it all depends on which president they elect. It depends on which exile you're talking about. You know, America, I got to have Americans are never happy about what their election is yeah. ever. But, <laughs> but mostly the spiritual exile. So first for the Jews, then all the nations, it's a hope. And when the uh, the divine presence comes back, then there's a hope for everyone to go back to him, basically. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Since Messiah has came, has come, so the hope is exists now. Right. So verse five, and the Lord your God, and now remember this phrase: the Lord your God, the Lord your God. It is the, this is one of the most common part, uh, phrases that are in in Deuteronomy. It's this, this, this constant reference to God is the Lord your God. Okay? The way, uh, Moses is, is, uses this term. And Deuteronomy becomes a, a very popular book in the Second Temple period. So what they're hearing the most aren't words like El Shaddai, El Roi, and these kinds of uh, Yehovah, Yaira. It's the Lord your God, the Lord your God, Adonai Lehecha, Adonai Lehecha, and uh, becomes a very important motif in the Second Temple period. Very <laughs> personal, is it not? Just like the ironic blessing, it's very personal. Um, and uh, the Lord is your God. So the Lord, your God, will bring you into the land that your fathers possessed, that you may possess it. So there's this um, uh, definitely an exile, because we've possessed it once, we've possessed it again. And he will make you more prosperous and numerous than your father. So there's this, not only is this a restoration, there's an abundant restoration. There's a, a blessing that comes back that it looked good previously. It's going to be better the second time. Yeah. And, and, you know, this whole idea of, I like Zahadia 1.3, where it says, you know, shuv, return 
And I will, Ashuvai will return to you. So it's about relationship, about reciprocity, not just going back. Of course, we've talked about this, but to the Torah and everything, but going back, you know, from the heart. But it's interesting how he has that relationship. Mm-hmm. And Moses, particularly in Deuteronomy, has very much focused on the heart. Write these laws on your heart, he says. And again, here in verse 6. So after you've returned and have become incredibly prosperous, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring. It's generational. The, it actually impacts. Your faith can impact the future generation. <laughs> and circumcision of the heart is a major theme of the Second Temple period. Okay? Uh, it appears in not just in New Testament, but it also appears in a lot of uh, what we call apocryphal books, that is books written around that same time period. They're all talking about this, okay, that like too often we can only focus on and there are the, 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 the guys who are very legalists. There are legalists in all communities, by the way. You know, thou shalt not dance, thou shalt not sing, thou shalt not read Harry Potter, okay, <laughs> and, uh, and they can get incredibly legalistic. However... The major theme was a circumcised heart. A circumcised heart also linked to the soul, linked to your mouth uh, and, uh, and, 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 and practice. And, um, and it's interesting that it's, you, there, it talks about a return. It talks about uh, being prosperous. And, um, and then it talks about a circumcision of the heart. Okay, so... Where do Mordecai and Roddy and I live and Nama? We live in Israel. Okay. Is Israel a very circumcised, heartish country? <laughs> what, what do you say, Mordecai? Not yet. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, Nama, what do you think down there in Tel Aviv? It's, uh, everyone's um, loving the Lord, their, their God, or... Um, Smoking dope on the weekends. Um, it's, yeah, it's, I it's, think they are, to be honest. Okay. It's, um, it's, there's a lot of people here who are completely secular. And for many people who come and visit Israel, and including myself, I guess, a long time ago, in, uh, uh, 20 years ago, um, you come here and you get a bit shocked that Israel isn't, um, you know, everyone's got the word of God on their lips and you just go have a cup of coffee with somebody in Tel Aviv and start talking about the prophets or you'll learn a new, a new twist on the Psalms or something because everybody knows about God. Well, they don't, you know. You go to Tel Aviv these days and there's a Bloomin' Church of Scientology on the main boulevard and you scratch your head and you think, how'd that get there? Um, it's uh, <laughs> really quite incredible. Um, yeah, people are very nice, to be honest, but it's, we are talking about this in a spiritual matter, right? So they are nice people, very good people, but in a spiritual matter, not yet, not in that level. Now, you know, let me say that we are not being anti-Semite or something. We are Jewish. We are Jews, actually. We love them all. But in a spiritual matter, yeah, I also expected to see something more, and I, it failed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a tough one. And I guess that's one of the things where... Um, we have to remember the, 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 the tension. Um, here we are 
brought back into a, a land um, we've had a bunch of wars which we've managed to to win we've had to fight back the desert we've had to build uh, water producing things so we can can make water there's a lot of blessings here um, but we have to remember Aaron what does this passage say yeah and the Lord thy God Yehovah he will yes. do it so in his timing and in his ways, he will do it. And right. he will. Yep. Because as Mordecai says, God goes into exile, God's coming back. And somehow he's going to be back and, and be with his people. And somehow he's going to circumcise the hearts of his people. Right? And um, I guess it could be that this theology or this thought um, is sitting on the mind of Paul, when he writes in Romans, what's his famous line? One day, all Israel will be saved. Romans yeah. 11. How does that happen? Well, he doesn't know because <laughs> in his day it hadn't seemed to be taking effect, but he didn't see, he did read in, in the promises of Moses, promises of God, that God would circumcise their hearts somehow. Okay. So the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring. So that's uh, our children. And you will love the Lord your God. So a circumcised heart will immediately lead to love of God uh, with all your heart, with all your soul, so that you may live. Right. What does it not say? God will circumcise your heart so that you can offer sacrifices. Okay. Keep all 613 laws of the Torah. You will love God. However, there is a connection because how do you love God? Exactly. And yes. what does Matthew say? Matthew tells us. Yeah. Matthew. Love God John, with all your heart, soul, 5. and strength. Right? And love your neighbor as yourself. Love and your all of the Torah and the prophets. Yeah. Love God how and keep the commandments. Yeah, yes. so they're all connected. There is actually really no separation. And that's, I guess, the reason why James will say faith without works uh, is, is dead. Okay, like and you shall again obey. Oh, hang on. Where, where did I get up to? Um, you shall, uh, with all your heart and soul, you may live. Verse 7, and the Lord your God will put all these curses on your foes and your enemies. So you had them on you for a bit, okay, because you blew it, but then you'll get them on, on the bad guys. Uh, and then and in verse 8, and you shall again Obey the voice of the Lord. So love God is first. Okay. As um, Dallas Willard says in his spiritual transformation thing, inward transformation first leads to outward uh, yeah. observation. You don't do something. You don't start obeying the Lord and hope that you fall in love with him. No, you fall in love with God and that leads you to uh, uh, walking in his ways. Well, yeah. yeah, you need him to circumcise your heart. Sorry, money. Yeah. So it's very connected to verse six, actually, when he circumcises our hearts. Basically, he gives us the faith. And with our faith, so we just listening to God's voice means like hearing and recognizing his his voice, you know. Correct. And yeah. Yeah. And yeah. with that inner message, we recognize his his voice with it's like stages, you know, faith, yep. I mean, circumcision of the heart, faith, then you hear this, you hear his voice within the inner message, which is the spirit. Then here you are. It goes like step by step. Yep. Amen. Amen. 
Amen. Yes. Yep. And the, and the, the way you hear his voice, I mean, obviously you can hear his voice personally. You can hear his voice by the Spirit. You can hear his voice by a, a prophet. You can hear his voice in the Word. You can hear his voice having a Bible study, sitting around a group of, with, in, in a, a room studying, and you hear the voice of the Lord. And the Shekhinah is here. And the Shekhinah is here. The Spirit of God is present in that, in that midst, yes. And encouraging, learning, yes. Uh, and God, in, in, in some way, is honored, adored, and glorified. So, and the so Lord, what is that three-step process y'all are always teaching, you and David? You're saved, you're being saved, and you will be saved. Yeah, that's right. You're working in salvation. It's a process. Yeah, it's a process, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, and then the concept too is that we we show our love for God by our obedience, right? So it's sure. that it's sort of yeah. the evidence of our love. There's a yeah. New Testament principle there. There's somewhere that you know your obedience, yeah, something like that. You know? Yeah, yeah. Blessed is he who hears my words and does them. James is you know show me show me your faith by doing something. If you if, if not, then uh, I'm going to question it. Yeah, uh, verse nine. The Lord your God will make you abundantly prosperous in all the work of your hand. So, again, the blessing returns. And with blessing, with prosperity, of course, you, you're bringing that, that tension. Let's be careful that in our blessing we don't then turn around and forget God again. Um, we, get, we get it in the, in the work of our hands, the fruit of our womb, fruit of our cattle. I mean, the fruit of the ground. Everything is, is um, being, being blessed. Uh, for the Lord your God will again take delight in prospering you. And this, this actually, um, I always like reading these verses. The Lord will take delight in prospering you. Isn't that nice? Mm -hmm. God delights to show favor. God delights to show blessing. God delights to extend his hand in fellowship, in blessing, in love. It's, it's, it's for our benefit, yes, but there's a reciprocal blessing on his part too he delights in it there's a part where it even makes god happy which is a very interesting thought so god delights okay uh to to to, to, to prosper us as he took delight in our fathers so he's there's an, he's had experience at this uh when you obey the voice of the lord your god and of course the voice of the lord keep his commandments statutes that are written in this book of the torah and then there's always a debate in the commentaries. Is this actually the Torah, the first five books, or is this actually just the ones in Deuteronomy, or does this include all the oral Torah and the Mishnah? And you get all kinds of uh, branches on, on these discussions. Okay. Um, uh, when you turn to the Lord your God with your heart and soul, repentance involves heart and soul. Repentance does not just mean I'll just start doing good things and God will love me. Okay, it's uh, repentance involves heart and soul. For this commandment, verse 11, and this is this uh, verse 11 and 14, very interesting. For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. That's interesting. It is not in heaven that you should say, who's going to go up to heaven for us and bring it down so that we can hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea. I mean, you should say, We'll go over the sea and bring it to us so we can go and hear it and do it. But the word is very near you. It's in your mouth, in your heart. So you can see, so you can do it. All right. 
So, uh, all right, guys, what do you think this means? First of all, why does he, do you think he has to say it? Let's start with uh, the, the negative. Why does Moses have to say, oh, come on, guys, it's not too difficult, especially when he's told them, you're going to blow it. Uh, you'd imagine the pep talk. Okay, it's really that tough? Oh, gee, thanks, man. Can't you, can't you drop a few laws off? Can't you make it 426? Maybe, maybe I could do that. I like the, in, in this, the version I've got, it's, it's but it says, um, it's not too mysterious for you. It's got, it's not hidden. So in other words, you don't have to go looking for it. It's not something that, that you can't find. It's, it's there right. for you. Yeah. I'll, 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 I'll share something. Um, sometimes in my time at uh, Christchurch, people come up when they're on pilgrimage you come to Israel, to the land of, of Israel and um, they're on a personal journey. And after being in the land for a couple of weeks, they haven't found what they wanted or what they expected didn't occur. They didn't hear the voice of heaven. They didn't see a blinding light. <laughs> Their prayers weren't answered the way they thought. So they come up and they say, I just don't know what the will of the Lord is. What, what do I do, Aaron? And you go, oh, boy, this is an incredible journey for all of us to be on. And then they say, I just, where, where do I find the will of the Lord? And, and what's the answer? It's the ratzon. It's the, to take care of the widows and to love the poor and to feed the sheep. And- <laughs> yeah, but, it's, but it's, it, Moses is saying, it's not that far away, you know. You know, they we they they left their homeland, they left their 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 families or whatever it is, and they journeyed, thinking they would cross the sea and find it, you know. Um, when really Moses is saying something incredibly profound here, isn't he? Saying it's really close to you. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lifelong journey. Can I share this story, which we are oh. talking about? Um, I would like to read it from a book here. It says, Rabbi Yeshua ben Hananiah said, I was once on a journey when I noticed a little boy sitting at the crossroads. I asked him, by, w- by what road can I reach the town? And he said that there is a short and long one, and that is... There is a long and short one. So I'm I'm translating. So I took the short and long road. When I approached the town, I discovered that it was hedged in by gardens and orchards, like basically a dead end. So he turns back to the to the guy. He says, "Like my son, didn't you tell me that this road was short?" And he he answers back, "And didn't I tell you and long?" You know, so basically, it's like a journey. If we wanted to, if we really want to reach it quickly, there might be a dead end. So, if you want to come that quick, so it won't happen. But if you want to reach the city gate, so you want to go the long one, which is not hard, but it basically implies the lifelong journey. 
So you will not just get it and then you will go back to your routine, you know. Mm-hmm. But if you want to really reach the city gate, which is the kingdom of God, so you, you're going to take a long journey. Yep. Yep. It's the, it's the work, out your, uh, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. Because there are some people, you know, they sell this uh, quick salvation in the States. <laughs> it, basically, <laughs> it basically doesn't work, right? <laughs> Not it's, only yeah. in the States, we have that here too. <laughs> oh, do you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah, it is interesting. Like the story of uh, the Rabbi Hanania and uh, uh, Yeshua ben Hanania. Yeshua ben Hanania and, and, and people coming, you know, wanting to, they, they journey so far to find God, yet God was already very close. Where do I find the will of God? Start studying the Bible. Um, it, it, he'll open it up to you. You don't need a prophet. You don't need a vision. Um, those are helpful. Those are very helpful. I'm not saying don't have them. Uh, in fact, prophecy is one of the things that should be in the body of the Messiah, uh, as we find in the New Testament, because of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But um, the, uh, uh, this verse is actually used by Paul in Romans 10 to describe um, uh, an aspect of the gospel that is, uh, that is in relation, I think, with Israel. So if we read Romans, 5, uh, Romans 10, starting at um, verse 5, let's have a look. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the Torah, on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them, okay? But righteousness based on faith says, and so this is what Moses is, he begins to quote from Moses because he's talking about circumcised hearts, that the first thing you do is love God and then the obedience will come, not the other way around. Do not say in your heart, who goes up to heaven, that is, to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, or that's uh, the sea, because sometimes um, the, the term the sea was often a term for the nations and, and parts of the world like that. That is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? It is near you. It is in your mouth. It is in your heart. It is the word of faith which we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, because remember, mouth, heart are, are connected, uh, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. But with the heart, one believes and is justified, but with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. And then he, he goes on in terms of how wonderful this salvation is. It's for everyone. Jew and Gentile, for the Lord is the Lord of all. Right? He's the God of, of heaven and earth and all of it, bestowing riches on everyone who calls in the name of the Lord. Yeah, Aaron, that so, reminds me actually of a passage in, in Acts 17. Can I just read a little tiny bit about it? You know how yep, Paul's talking. Acts 17? Yeah, you know, uh, Paul's talking the same concept on a global scale as well, exactly what you just said, you know. There's this altar to the unknown God, and then he explains in verse 24, Acts 17, verse 24 and down. 
Mm -hmm. God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings, so that they should seek the Lord, number one, in the hope that they might grope for him. So grope, you know, it requires effort, right? And find him, though he's not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own prophets have said, for we are also his offspring. Yep. So the, it goes on. Yeah, it's powerful, you know. We, so to, to your point that, you know, God is right beside us. You're telling God is right beside us. And looking for use, reach out. Yeah. This 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 verse um, led some um, uh, in the rabbinic movement to also then apply uh, that they could use a democratic form of reason that could even um, that there was no need to appeal to heaven for all the answers. Okay. So on one hand, it's correct. You don't need to keep waiting for God to tell you everything because you've got the Bible right in front of you. Your brothers and sisters are right beside you. The Holy Spirit is right here. Um, but on the other hand, there's also that um, uh, with every blessing, you have to be very careful. Uh, and there's a great story about, um, is it Achez Achan's oven? Has anyone heard of this? Midrash? Okay. There's a, a, a famous rabbi called Eliezer ben Hyokonos. Rabbi Eliezer um, ends, up, ends up being kicked out of the community because he becomes a believer. Okay? He suffers from something called minut, uh, which is the, the Hebrew word for heresy. And um, in, the, in the rabbinic world, that meant he becomes a follower of Jesus. Anyway, but, but while he's still within the rabbinic world, um, there's a discussion about an oven whether it was pure or impure. And everybody in the debate, everybody in the synagogue is saying it's impure, we can't use it, except for Rabbi Eliezer. He says, no, it is. And everybody's looking at him going, what are you doing? You're such a very smart man. Why are you going against the team? And he says, well, because I'm right, you know. And, uh, and he says, and I'll prove it. And so he says, I'll, I'll command that uh, olive tree to get up and move. And he does. And the old tree gets up and moves. And everyone's like, oh, my gosh, a miracle. It's hilarious. That's fantastic. But, but we, we, the olive tree is not a witness in synagogues. Okay? Olive trees don't witness about Torah, so we're not counting it. And he's like, oh, my gosh, what can I do to, to prove that I'm right? Well, how about if I command the aqueduct that the water, instead of flowing down, will go up? And it does. Water defies gravity. And water starts shooting up the aqueduct. And everyone's like, oh, my gosh, a miracle. And, uh, but we don't believe you because water does not, you know, tell us what Torah is, okay? We do. We decide. And, he, and he's like, oh, my gosh, who can I appeal? I'll appeal to heaven. And there's an earthquake and heaven splits open and a voice comes out and says, guys, paraphrasing here, Rabbi Eliezer is right. The oven's fine, okay? And, um, and then everyone sort of is silent for a bit because God has just spoken and after respectfully letting the voice of God depart, they say it's not in heaven that we have to go up. So not even a voice of heaven tells us what's right and wrong anymore. And it's an interesting comment. It's a very beautiful rabbinic comment about themselves, okay, is that you can sometimes push this a little, a little too far. Um, so we have to keep it in balance. 
that, yes, the word of God is here. We've all got the Bible. How many denominations we got going on around the world now? Hey, we're really good at reading this Bible, aren't we, and sticking together? Okay. No. Yeah. It's a, yes. And uh, so we have, to, we have to keep it in perspective. That, um, and we have to appeal, yes, every now and again, to the Lord of heaven, come and help us. Um, even though, let's not only wait for heaven to tell us what to do. It's here. The word of God is is, 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 is here uh, with us. The gospel is here. The good news is here. The spirit is here and all of that stuff. It is, and as verse 14 says, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth. It's in your heart. Those two things are very connected so that you can do it. You know, by the power of the spirit, you can, you know, um, give up the drugs. You can give up the smoke. You can, you know, whatever, whatever you need. Uh, whatever is 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 plaguing us um, by the by God's help. Okay, and so in the light of that, verse fifteen. See, I have set before you life and good, death and evil. Very much a reflection, as you were saying, Yvonne, uh, from the good and evil, like that's in the Garden of Eden. Okay. And if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by Keeping all the mitzvot? No, by loving the Lord your God. Because obedience starts with love. It starts with the heart. It might look like keeping the mitzvot. Fair enough. But it starts with the heart. Okay, By walking in his ways. So we've got instruction about how you should live your life, or what you can and can't do. And by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules. Then you'll live by them and you'll multiply. There'll be, as he said before, every part of our life will, will flourish. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering, take possession of it. Just as he said, he delights to do this. This actually makes God um, happy as well. And then, of course, comes uh, the warning. It's, it's always there. Once you have a blessing, you also have to be very, very careful. Okay, um, uh, that that if you turn, if your heart turns away and you're not here, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you the day that you shall surely perish. You will not live long in the land that you are going over to, over the Jordan to enter and possess. And for those that were listening on Sunday, if anybody was listening on Sunday. Um, then I made um, a mention of uh, King Solomon who had, when asked by the Lord, so what do you want? Do you want long life? Do you want, do you want the, the blood of your enemies? Do you want lots of silver and gold? And he says, no, no I, I want wisdom. It's a pretty smart thing for a 12-year-old kid to say. And, uh, and by giving up, he got Right? By, by surrendering it all, it was returned back to him. And, in, and God says, I'm going to even bless you even more. You're going to be the best. And he takes that knowledge initially and he does, does well. His first uh, judgment was the judgment of the two women and the baby, where how did he solve the case? Which baby is it? He said, oh, let's chop it in two and give half to each. And the real mother said, no, I'll give the baby up. And in giving the baby up, what did she get? She got everything. She got the baby back. 
And you're like, well, Solomon, you've learned, you've done so well, you're doing great. And, um, but that's unfortunately, he didn't listen to the rest of the warning of Moses because his heart uh, was drawn to serve other gods because at the same time as the smartest man on the planet was building the temple of God, the same man was also going back to Egypt, which he was instructed not to do by Moses, marrying the daughter of Pharaoh, not the smartest thing to do, and then building temples for her uh, to their gods and all the other wives. I don't know where they came from, but he got them anyway. Um, and you think, hang on, how can you be building the temple of God? You'd be so smart and you're still doing this. So much so that in the end of his life, when he's lying on his deathbed, God talks to him again and says, dude, you blew it and I'm taking everything away from you. In fact, all that you end up with is two tribes. You had 12, but now you only get two. And, uh, and so he'd, he'd, he'd shrunk. Um, and Moses is giving the warning again. If you have a circumcised heart, fantastic. And, you, and, and God is blessing you in abundance, brilliant. But in that blessing, we have to be careful, guys. We have to be careful that, that we don't get... Uh, uh, or pride, but here it talks about the heart turning away, and um, and we end up serving serving other gods. And so, verse uh, nineteen, Moses brings in. Um, actually, in the in the um, ancient world, this was a common uh, thing that they would say. He says, "I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you." Life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life. All right. So are there any Calvinists here? <laughs> what do you mean? Well, Calvinism. You know, the um, Calvinism is um, uh, there is no free will. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, there's a, 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 many denominations are actually that that. That, that line. In fact, the Dead Sea Scrolls community, the Jewish uh, people, were um, total predestination. It is not a Christian invention. Okay. Um, they, they, the guys living out there in Qumran believe that there was no free will, everything's predestined. Yet, what yeah, do you see? There's lots of scriptures about that. There's actually a lot of scriptures about that in Ephesians, the New Testament stuff. So it's, uh, it's a tricky one because, I mean, how free are we really? I don't know. Okay, so what do you do with that? Now that you've brought in that, Ephesians and predestination, what do you do with Moses standing before the people of Israel saying, well, I've said before you, life, death, blessing, cursing, choose life. Then what, do you do with, what do you do with Adam and Eve at the very beginning, first page of the Bible in Gun Eden? They had a yeah, choice. Nope. It's, a, it's an interesting mystery, isn't it? It's a beautiful tension. Um, and uh, there's no way you and I are going to resolve the discussion between free will and predestination tonight. It did not going to happen. That's actually a promise. <laughs> well, okay. in verse 6, though, it does sort of summarize it, right? The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants, right? So there's an element where God has a part to play. We have a part to play. But I would say, wouldn't, isn't it more like a response to God's work in our lives versus us personally directing? Like, I don't really believe that we control our destiny, you know? Okay. Because you know in the Psalms where it says that every day ordained for you was written in a book before one of them came to be? Yep. 
That's then there's no need to pray the rest of the night. Then we don't have no, to pray. No, see, right? <laughs> <laughs> I love it, Ronnie. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, right. That's where you're wrong because God commands it, right? So there's an element where we're involved in the None, There's actually no command in the Bible to pray. Absolutely. Thessalonians. None. Pray without right. ceasing. That's in the New Testament. Well, that's the Bible. Yeah, <laughs> but pray without ceasing doesn't mean that you can do that because you have to sleep, don't you? You have to eat. You have to put something in your mouth. That's not what you mean. The actual, there is no command in the Bible to pray. There is none. It doesn't mean that you don't do it. It doesn't mean people didn't do it because they did. Moses. Because it's in the oral Torah. Yeah, it's in the oral, but it's the, there's nothing in the actual physical Tanakh no. that says okay, thou must pray. Okay, wait. So go back. So this season, so in this season of the in Deuteronomy, did they have like one guy that knew the Torah and then everybody learned it? Like how did they, so obviously like in this chapter, right? Yeah. You have to walk in his ways, keep his right. commandments, his statutes and his judgments. Well, you can't do that unless you know them. So I okay. understood that. I thought Jews learned and memorized all those in their childhood. Yeah, by, by the Kohanim, by the Levites, the Kohans. So every Jewish person knew them. No, because every tribe had a Kohen in them. So it's like a priest among them. No, I know, them. but how can you keep them if you don't know them? Like I thought you no, guys of all course they knew them, them because it's, it's, it's yeah, of course they learned it from Moshe, Tabdi Yeshua, and blah blah. It started with Aaron, Aaron a Kohen, Aaron a Kohen. Then it goes all the way to down still to this day. Uh, a title or the state of rabbi is just a new thing, you know. At that time, so, it was so you mean, the Kohanim. Oh, hmm? sorry. So you mean physically at this time there was one physical Torah and everybody like stood around and listened to somebody read it to them? No, there were like half a million people. But what I say is they had a lot of guys who knew the Torah. Maybe 10,000 guys who knew the Torah and they teach them. Yeah, yeah, Kohanim yeah. and Levim, the tribe of Levi, especially the family of Kohen, Kohens, were the teachers. Okay. Yeah, so their job is, was to go around the, uh, the people and, and spread, the, spread the word. Although in some cases they had to get their swords and kill people. But normally it was supposed to um, teach, teach the word. Well, it's no different than uh, the believers in the second, third, and fourth century. There's very few Bibles. Correct. So you've got the leaders of the believing community teaching as they see fit. And 2,000 years later, we have 30,000 sects. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. It's really unfortunate. Yeah. So we have this, regardless of whether we are predestination or free will. And uh, no, we are not going to solve that issue. Uh, it has been a debate for thousands of years, longer than us, and probably will be a, a debate until Jesus comes, when we can ask him, do I have a choice uh, in this, Lord? Because if I do, I'm, I'm with you. Um, and, uh, and so here we have, I have set before you, uh, blessing and life, you know, uh, life and death, blessing and curse, and therefore choose life. Now, brothers and sisters, you and I hold the Bible in our hands. This is an incredible gift, do we not? Yes, we do. And do you, you, so do you want to ignore it? No, none of you want to ignore it. That's why we're here. We, we, uh, we, we choose to sacrifice our Wednesday nights 
to gather together, to wrestle, to study, to learn, to laugh, to, to share, to debate, to argue, to, uh, you know, um, to all these things. Um, uh, and, and as part of that, and there's the blessing of fellowship that comes with it. Um, and, and God delights in this. He's, and, uh, but it also gives us an opportunity to continue our walk a little bit stronger, a little bit bolder, a little bit, a bit more upright, one would hope. Um, but this is a choice we made. Some of us would say that perhaps it wasn't. Well, I'm not so sure. But anyway, guys, we uh, this is a the the Bible that we hold is life, is, as opposed to other books. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, and the blessing is that you and your offspring may live. It's generational. It's one of those things. Uh, the Bible has said it in in many other different areas, different other places. Um, we can af- affect the next generation. Uh, loving the Lord your God. Remember, it's always about love first, obedience second. Okay? Obeying his voice, holding fast to him, for he is your life and the length of days. He's the author and, and finisher of our, of our faith. And you can dwell in the land. There is always that promise of the land, particularly when we're on the other side of the Jordan about to cross it. And as we have talked before, you do not take possession of the land until you... Cross the Jordan. It ain't coming to you. You gotta go to it, and, and that involved faith. That involved battles. That involved God fighting some of your battles for you. You know all kinds of good things. That involved having to struggle with what do we do with uh, the war booty that we captured. Some of it we were supposed to uh, not keep, and we failed a few. We, we we talked about some of these issues in in the past, and we can see where. Um, the journey is interesting. It's a little tough sometimes. We don't always uh, succeed. But there is the opportunity for restoration, repentance, um, and the delight that God has uh, to bring his blessing. So we get to dwell in the land that the God swore to our fathers. He has made promises, promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the merits of the patriarchs, which Paul refers to in Romans, uh, to, to inherit Okay, so this actually finishes the essentially the retelling. The next couple of chapters engages in um, the uh, how that we, we set up a democratic system of leadership. Oh, no, I'm sorry, how we appoint leaders without voting for them. Uh, okay, you know, democracy, not in the Bible. Uh, then Moses is going to break into song. Best thing to do um, before you die, I think, is start singing, create an album, because um, you'll never actually see the, the, the sales go through the roof after your death. That's how it works. Um, and so there's a lot of great things there in the text, and then uh, Moses is going to, to disappear. But here we are at the end of the giving of the Torah. And uh, so seeing as how we have ourselves a Cohen in our midst, um, Brother Mordecai, you got any words to wrap up the uh, the giving of the of the Torah? Yeah, basically, in this in this chapter, the journey of Moshe, our teacher, is ending. So it will go to Yeshua. So Aaron and I have been talking about a uh, about a problem that that was made in the beginning, actually, in the beginning of Christianity, because a lot of people at at the Christ Church, in the Anglican Church, all over the world, they call the Torah and Tanakh, they refer it as the Old Testament. 
So I think there's a problem with it because if something is old and it no longer exists, then you don't have to read it or obey it. Um, a lot of people, people, you know, they, they really think that, you know, there's the Old Testament someone put in the Bible, but you, because of Jesus, you don't have to, you know, like it's over, it's finished, you don't have to follow it. That's why, therefore, they call it the Old Testament and the New Testament. I mean, I, I would like to encourage you guys to just refer it. If you are talking about the first five books of Moshe, Moshe you just call it Torah. If you are just referring something about prophets or Psalms, just say Tanakh, because if it's old, so there's no point of talking about it. I already wrote an article about it that Jesus actually didn't finish it. He said, I, I, can't, I didn't come to destroy, you know, but to fulfill. And here is the Greek, Greek word, Pelero, right, Aaron? Am I wrong? So it's Pelero is the Greek word of fulfill, right? So the very first Bible was written in Greek, and the Pelero means fulfill. It's, it doesn't mean it's over or it's finished. I don't know who translated, you know, mistranslated it or whatever, maybe accidentally, maybe knowingly. And I think also in Isaiah 42, 21, he says, the Lord is well placed for his righteous sake, so he will exalt the law and make it honorable. So with Jesus, our, our Lord, so the law is very honorable and is actually exalted. You know what I mean? So like, so I can give many examples from here that Jesus himself obeyed the law. He honored the law. You know, he up, uphold the law. So there's a law. There are not two laws. It's actually one law, which is one, one in the Hebrew Bible. You can call it Hebrew Bible, I guess. And one, the gospel of Jesus. But if you call it the Old Testament, so it's over, you know. Uh, a lot of people ask me already, like, oh, why do you have to believe in them when it's not old, you know. That's why we keep reading it. Even today, we spend one and a half hours on reading it. If it's old and it's, it doesn't apply to us, then why do we have to spend two hours, three hours a week of reading it? No. So, yeah. 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 You can tell your friends if, if, <laughs> if they ever refer as Old Testament, you can say like there's a good way of saying it, a better way of saying it or referring it, which is the, the Torah or Tanakh. If you want to don't miss up, just say the Hebrew Bible, the yeah, Jewish yeah. Bible. We often, at Christchurch, we often say Hebrew Bible, Greek Bible, so that we make a distinction. It's, it's the Bible, the Word of God, and it's done this. It's, um, so, Aaron, I, got, I, need, I need to jump in for it. won't tell you, but 60 seconds. Because I've been dealing with this for seven years on a daily basis. Go for it. If Christians believe that Yeshua is the word of God, in the beginning is the word, the word was with him, and the word was God, do they believe that this Old Testament is the word of God? Then why do you call Jesus old? And right. you have a new Jesus. Yeah, yeah I know. Is he Yeshua Jesus yes. yesterday, today, and tomorrow, or he's not? Yeah. And so I'll have to take Mordecai's uh, side on this one. No, but no, I agree. That it's an old covenant and then the new covenant because the, the, the New Testament uses those words, eh, Roddy? The old the Hebrew Bible, the, he, the Hebrew, the, the, the Hebrew Bible itself introduces the, the term the new covenant, the brief of Yeah, yeah, in right. the German, so it's just a way that God deals with people. It's not a negative. It's not a negative. No, 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 no. What Mordecai is saying into a negative. is it's nomenclature, the nomenclature yes. of the term old 
while you might understand personally what that means, for some people who are not thinking about it, um, especially Jews, <laughs> can come can come to a, a, an, an understanding that old is done away with. And I'm going to have to admit, when I was young and growing up, um, that's the way I used to think. Old yeah. is old and yeah. dead and gone and new is great, even though it was 2,000 years old. Well here, well, here in 1 John 2nd, it says, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. Yeah. So yeah. it's yeah. Yeah. the gospel of Jesus, right? I think, I think... Yeah, and the new commandment starts in Jeremiah 31, so it doesn't yeah. start with the, the, uh, with the New Testament. Right. The Torah, as, as Jeremiah says, is going to be written on our hearts, which, as, as Moses has been saying, was exactly where it was supposed to be in the first place. Yep. It was always meant to be about the heart. It was always meant to be about a circumcised heart, which is exactly what he's been saying today. But that never, never actually turns around and then says... Um, uh, God has decided that murder is okay. Or, yeah. yeah, David Stern's um, New Testament commentary said that uh, that it's not an announcement of a coming of a new law; it's a, a new principle of keeping the law. Yeah. But it's it's sad. It's exactly what Mordecai said. I mean, the majority of Christianity does believe that that has been done away with. That happened. We were in a church for 16 years, and we started to talk to our pastor about that, and he didn't agree. And we said we we've got to leave. This is this is when we, yeah. so we're at another it church. Is, it is a, it is a it's a it's a real issue. Uh, Patty says to everyone on the chat, the community in which I live is majority New Testament believers. Uh, that's. Okay, it's very difficult to talk to them about the Tanakh. They even mm. believe Jesus came to take away the Ten Commandments. Wow. Okay, I haven't heard that. Well, one. See, that okay. see, that's not even biblical, right? The concept yeah. is that he fulfilled them, not de demolished them or destroyed them. Like, like but he just fulfilled it in order to exalt and honor it. He, he fulfilled it, yep. and you can just take it away. It doesn't mean he had just we read right sixteen today. We read it. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, you know. And by walking his ways, he says, and here, First John 2nd, he, he says, but whoever keeps his word in him truly, the law of God is perfect, blah, blah, and whoever says he abides in him and ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So what is the way he walked? You know, yeah, it was the Torah way. Yeah. I'm not talking about let's become Jewish altogether. I'm not uh, Jewishizing people here. You know, there's no way, way to make oh, people like Jewish. It. Yeah. But it's a lot of people. Book. It's all a complete thing. It's all a complete book. It's not. Yeah. It's not one yeah. against the other. So it's Sharon, one story. Sharon, yeah. Sharon, that's the point, and that's correct. That's the point. Yeah. That's what we're so, trying to say. Let's so call Sharon, it what Mordecai is coming to terms with, and Roddy and, and many other Jewish people, is that when they come to faith, they encounter Christianity, particularly it's all online, that says old is old and done away with, yeah. which is. Right, which is which is not what we're going to say, and and so that as as the understanding is um, and the advice is, and what we do at Christchurch is try and get away from using words like Old Testament and go go for Hebrew Bible, Torah, Tanakh, you know the other uh, things. Obviously, a lot of people aren't going to understand what the word Tanakh means. It is not going to. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, um, no, so that's 
that's the reason. Maybe not one reason. There are many reasons why the Jews, you know, don't use convert to Christianity or become become believers of Yeshua because there are a lot of priests, pastors. You know, they think that way. You know that the Torah is gone and no longer exists, and they actually teach it online in their communities. If a Jew hears it, you know, he says, "Oh man, I have no business to do with you." Exactly. Yeah. But you have to do it. Uh, I mean, I'm not trying to, uh, you know, have a Jewish lobby here, but this is the right way to do it. Yeah. I mean, is it Teresa? It's a lot of the Christian seminaries also have that, and it's uh, it's an unfortunate. So, praying for you, Mordecai. I don't know what Trinity <laughs> College Seminary if, if he does. Do we need more Jewish priests? That we, that's what we need. <laughs> <laughs> more Jewish priests. There you go. Understanding, yeah. Yeah. Hebraic understanding is 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 yeah. essential. I have but a I question. Think, sorry. Oh, I was going to actually go on. Teresa, your turn. Yeah. Uh, but I think it gets even worse than that because I was not not that many years ago in a home group with a guy who used to preach. Well, in fact, he was preaching then. And he said to me, I don't know how you can like the Old Testament. It's a different God. <laughs> and I was amazed. I was gobsmacked. But I've heard that a lot, apart from the fact that it's it's finished as well. And when I, on a few occasions, get the chance to speak in church, I'm always very clear about Torah, and I've got people to understand what I mean by Torah, and I always explain that, but I, I won't ever use the words Old Testament. But it is quite prevalent, I think, certainly in the churches that I encounter, and I live in London, so it isn't all churches, but Correct. certainly that is an issue. Yeah. You even get churches called New Testament churches in their title, don't you? Mm. I just I, I don't get that, how people can... Call the mm. church the New Testament church. Yeah. Mm. It's all one book, as uh, Mordecai has been learning, and mm. uh, and hopefully in the future preaching. It's uh, it's all mm. one book. Mm. All right, guys. Hey, um, Eric, I do have a question that I, I know that you were going to ask Mordecai to comment on, but the whole idea of heavens and earth, and it talks about it in Deuteronomy chapter four twenty five, where the children and grandchildren grow old and become corrupt and make images then I will make a witness to you heavens and earth. It's also in Deuteronomy chapter, well, we read it, which is Deuteronomy 30. It's also in the... the it's also in Matthew 5. Azinu, yeah, the, the song of Moses. In, yes, uh, in Matthew 5, yeah. Matthew 5, yeah. Jesus also says that, for, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, you know, mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. So it's, a, it's an ancient way of saying it, because what they mean is like the the... Heaven, Shamayim, is the sky, and the mm -hmm. earth is the land. So they will be still existing when all this comes through. So Moshe is gone now, but the sky, we can still see it, Shamayim, and the earth, we still walk on it. So it's a very, very good witness, I guess. Huh? Mm -hmm. because if you, <laughs> yeah. yeah, because you can claim to be, it's just in this earth, but heaven will, it's in, heaven will uh, witness and it's interesting the concept of two right it's always two witnesses as well yeah yeah, that's, yeah. I hadn't thought of that yeah, two witnesses I find it interesting that heaven and earth both as witnesses both uh, watch and pay attention um, in the book of Acts we saw um, Cornelius praying and when the angel comes and says he says heaven has heard your prayers and seen your good deeds mm -hmm. and you go 
oh my gosh, it pays attention. You know, heaven pays mm -hmm. attention, and uh, uh, both both uh, you know Moses and Jesus. Obviously, Jesus is often portrayed in the Gospels as the new Moses because Moses had said, "One like me is coming." So, who's our new Moses? Well, it's obviously Yeshua. Um, mm -hmm. Uses that phrase as well. And another reason which Aaron already asked me, because Moshe couldn't have, have God as the witness because it's forbidden. You cannot say God is my witness, which they do very often, you know, these days, but it, it's forbidden to say God is my witness. That's why Moshe was saying the earth and the heaven, you know, will stay as witnesses. It's not forbidden to say that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's always with the witnesses. It's always two by two. Moshe, Moshe and Aaron, and gotta have two. Yeah, yeah. It's always yeah. two. Yeah. Great. That's right. Send us all out in pairs, Lord. Send us all out in pairs. Mm -hmm. yeah. All right. Well, brothers and sisters, thanks for wrestling uh, uh, the words of Moses again. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.